I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. The COVID-19 pandemic has been going on long enough for scientists and lawmakers to begin to reflect on the lessons we have learned. The robust response to the pandemic from the scientific community has been astonishing, and the flexibility shown by regulatory organizations like the FDA has also been impressive. If we are entering a new era of more dynamic regulatory response to emergencies, how can we ensure the balance of science and law? Couple that with the growing fields of personalized medicine and rare disease emergency use authorization, and it becomes even more complicated. Here to discuss these issues is Charles River Director Mike Templin from our Scientific Advisory Services Division. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. So I understand that the FDA processes, like any bureaucratic organization, can tend to build up over time. Can you talk about what this means from a scientific perspective? Sure. And you know, this is one of those cases that there are multiple factors. Part of it is because these documents are so important to the drug development world, they try to be in, you know, all-encompassing in certain ways. That means they can get fairly large. There are also a case of, you know, we're all a product of our experience. Of course, we also try to learn from our experiences. <laughs> Those get added in over time, and that combination as well as other factors can make them rather large, mm -hmm. one, to encompass a little bit of the what-ifs, and also to be able to address multiple situations. And in those cases, they just they can get large, so to speak, or encompassing and get a little confusing about exactly what they're trying to address and how, more important, how you apply those to your specific situation using the general for specific questions. Mm -hmm. So I know, I mean, each drug obviously would have its own inherent dangers or things that you really need to look out for, but are there any, and this is a little bit off topic, but are there any types of drugs where there are some safety testing that you just don't need to do for whatever reason? Either the drug has no way of interacting in that sort of safety way, or it's a variant that's been used a million times before, so they know it's safe in certain ways. And are those ever accommodated in the regulations? They are accommodated in the regulations. And it is, you know, we encourage people to read them, you know, quite often, or we will reference them you know, as part of the the scientific advisory services group. When we have some initial calls with, you know, people who have a certain project they're trying to move forward, we will reference those guidances. Mm -hmm. We also at least try and remember to say read them and then take a close look at what applies and maybe where things don't apply. But it's still the responsibility of all of us in the drug development community to undergo and take a rigorous scientific process. What makes sense? Where are the concerns? We all have limited time and limited resources in all <laughs> situations. And you know, first is sit down and develop the plan and then apply the guidance to the plan as opposed to taking the guidance and then trying to fit your drug or your program into every part of the guidance. Pull out the parts that are important, make sure you give them the emphasis they deserve, 
places where it doesn't make sense scientifically, you need to rationalize that. If you can't come up with a good reason, <laughs> then it's probably not, not realistic that you don't look there. But if you can come up with a good, solid rationale, it's just as valid to say, yeah, we did not go in depth in here because it's a low probability. We have enough information to confirm that. Let's put our resources where there's more important questions. Right. And of course, they can always come back and say, no, we disagree. You need to do this work entirely. And then, you know, that's their prerogative. But giving them the scientific basis for skipping something is probably a, a good way to start, at least. It is. And you make a good point. I mean, everybody sees things a little bit different. Um, and I have to admit, there's been, you know, parts of my life working more directly in drug development where, you know, I was the toxicologist on the program. And I think, you know, hopefully all scientists have this is not just me. In the sense, you know, we get ingrained into our programs and that's good and bad. You also always have to be a bit careful, cautious, and cognizant of the fact you're usually not the only drug in a class that's being put before a regulatory agency. And they may be asking you questions that are important that you haven't thought. Sometimes mm -hmm. that can get misinterpreted or overinterpreted as being strict or inflexible, but they have some awareness of issues that you may not. And you need to give them some serious consideration. You mentioned that earlier, and I guess it goes both ways. So sometimes as a developer, you know more about your drug, but them on the regulatory side, they know more about the larger landscape of drugs that are up for approval. Absolutely. And that is a fantastic point. And it's also another you know, thing that those in the drug development profession need to think about. You touched on it perfectly you know your molecule the best of, of anyone in the world, hopefully. <laughs> and that means it's, it's also your responsibility to relay the information that you have. It's not a case of that you definitely need to educate them, but it is our responsibility as drug developers when we go to the regulatory agencies. If you want them to come to a similar conclusion that you have, you need to provide them the information that you know, both, you know, good or, you know, places of concern, um, mm -hmm. what you know about it, what you don't know about it. Again, there is no guarantee they'll come to the same conclusion, um, <laughs> but it's almost a guarantee if you don't give them the information, it's impossible for them to come to a similar conclusion. Yeah. Bringing it back to science, can you think of an example of a scientific advancement in drug development or safety testing that had to be reflected in FDA policies? Yeah, and there has been a current one, and this is a, a drug class that's near and dear to my heart, oligonucleotides. Mm -hmm. you know, oligonucleotides are a drug class where quite recently we've, you know, the scientific community and the medical community has recognized there is an opportunity to treat patients that may have a very specific mutation. Maybe sometime they're the only known patient in the world that has that mutation. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's only a handful of patients, but those are a much different paradigm and approach than, you know, you're making a drug for cardiovascular disease where tens of millions of people may have the opportunity or the need to be on this drug. If you are only treating one patient or, you know, a true handful of patients, that's a different process. And those programs are starting to move through. And so the FDA has been very proactive and released the guidance document and it's administrative and procedural, but that's also essential 
to say, let's get involved early with discussions and outline how to do this so that a drug developer isn't making assumptions. And then the FDA has to make different assumptions when they see the data. So that is you know, a case of where it's very proactive. Um, you know, other examples over the years, obviously, we see this in the literature, the advances in gene therapies. You know, the CRISPR-Cas9 systems that have opened up doors that a few years ago were definitely thought of that would be great approaches, but there just weren't the technologies to do it. Now there are. And so, you know, that's another case. And, you know, I encourage people to go look at, you know, the more recent documents where the FDA is trying to set the stage for how to approach them, what types of data, how do we now take these very unique programs, but still apply the tried and true scientific process to make sure we can do this with patient safety as a high priority and full disclosure or whatever we need to be able to move these forward. Right. I mean, speaking of patient safety, if you had to define the bedrock principles of the FDA, what would you say they are? It's always been my take or how I've tried to approach it. As you mentioned, you know, patient safety is always the ultimate, but you know, patient safety is an end goal. What I've always thought of a little bit more at a bedrock is what I guess my view of it is is the scientific process. We touched on this a little bit already. You know, in the guidance documents, we use them to, to help outline what are the most important questions. What makes sense for this program? Are we identifying the most important questions? And are we answering the most important questions? And to me, while that's it's a harder thing for you know the FDA to outline in a guidance document or how they approach the world, but it gives both the drug development program and the regulator the chance to be able to collect, review, and interpret the most important questions and the data associated with those. In the absence of that, it's in my view is it's almost impossible for an agency to ultimately answer the question, is the risk benefit of this drug appropriate to move it into humans? So, mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of important questions, <laughs> moving on to COVID, What do you think of the regulatory response to the pandemic from a drug development perspective? Overall, it's been very positive, very proactive. And, you know, my hesitations, it's been amazing over the last year considering, you know, some of the progress. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, early on, when we first just quickly using vaccines as as the example to say rapid programs for vaccine development, sometimes five years or so, people would consider that rapid. And now it has successfully been done in a year or so. And there's no doubt that it not only took a fast regulatory review in the end, and that was definitely you know, well publicized. They had the world watching, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, the day that it was submitted to the FDA, it obviously was national and international news. So, you know, as all of us in the world had to do. There was new information coming out every day. We had to figure out what's relevant for tomorrow or what we think is going to be relevant for tomorrow. And in my opinion, the regulatory agencies were very good at being just as proactive as 
the drug companies or the small biotechs or academics in drug development, you know, were trying to be aggressive timelines. We also had to have aggressive regulatory oversight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some people have seen the pace at which these treatments and vaccines were developed and have thought, oh, that's too fast. And then some of us who have run out of episodes of Great British Bake Off to watch are like, can't this be faster? (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's a matter of perspective. It is. You know, and so we, we have learned that we can do things faster, but it's also been good that we've also, you know, stopped and say, wait a minute, let's make sure the risk benefits are there. Are we moving too fast? Mm-hmm. You know, you never know what a pandemic is going to look like till you're in till you're in the pandemic. And it raises questions on both sides. But I guess as a scientist, that's sort of why I got into science was, you know, those types of questions. What's the information we have? What information don't we have? And how do we address that? Some people think we're moving too fast. Some people think we're moving too slow. There's probably times that's been the same person. <laughs> it was just a matter of perspective that day. All we can do is, is learn from it and decide. Hopefully, there won't be any cases where we come down to the conclusion we moved too fast. Mm-hmm. Or if we did move too fast in places, they were the areas that were the minor parts, not the major parts. Right. I understand that a lot of the risks that were taken were actually risks on the part of the drug developers where they would run things simultaneously that might usually have been done consecutively by assuming that the earlier part wouldn't have any problems. Now, of course, if that part had come out with problems, they would have had to redo it all. So the risk is that they are wasting money doing later tests at the same time as earlier tests in the hope that they don't get any bad results. Absolutely. You know, thinking back of the various programs that I have worked on over the years, you know, we all set our timelines and milestones. And, you know, you mentioned this a little bit, you know, sometimes you've got clinical trials and manufacturing or what we call the the CMC section, the chemistry manufacturing and control section, and, you know, safety assessment and clinical trials. They are all going on in parallel in a certain degree, but oftentimes we also set timelines and milestones to say, okay, we'll wait to make the next big investment in the CMC, maybe it's the manufacturing, until we get this data from the clinical trial and this data from the safety assessment. Mm -hmm. In this case, and from what I have seen, the U.S. government also helped considerably with this Mm -hmm. to say, we're going to do these in parallel. So there were you know, the manufacturing of how to make these at very large scale were all being done at the same time that some safety assessment was ongoing, some of the initial clinical trials were going on. So we didn't wait for that milestone to invest resources in all three. So Mm -hmm. like there were risks. You could build a manufacturing site to make hundreds of thousands of doses that your clinical trial, unfortunately, just suggested weren't going to be needed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So there are ways to do it where the risks were financial, not that those aren't important risks, but the safety risks were minimized while the infrastructure or financial or also, you know, the failure risks Mm-hmm. were were acceptable considering the situation. Not to say money isn't important, but I think almost everyone recognized that this was a case that we had to, some cases put finances at risk to minimize health risks. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So 
What do you think are some of the lessons we should learn from COVID in terms of regulatory flexibility? The pandemic put a very bright light on all of our processes and steps. And in some cases, hopefully we've realized that maybe in some cases we added too many places, you know, the so-called belt and suspenders approach. Where can we remove some of those? Where can we be more efficient? How do we make our own internal decision processes? Do we really need three weeks to sit down and think about this? Probably not. Mm-hmm. No, let's, let's take the information Let's process it quickly. It's not taking our, you know, you have to take a certain amount of time, but at the same time, as drug developers, we've also, have we built a process that we can also re-examine, retune, and make more efficient. So what do you recommend for a drug developer who's approaching the FDA for review? Great question. And we, you know, we on this a little bit. One is to always remember that as the drug developer, you have the most in-depth knowledge on that molecule, or you should have the most in-depth knowledge on that molecule. Yeah, hopefully. Yes. So, (laughs) and and it's always, again, a little bit of of a twist and turn. When we go, you know, as drug developers in a pre-IND meeting, you submit the documents that go along with that. They're posed as questions. They are questions, but I don't want to say that they're, that it's a strange way to ask and answer the questions. I guess what came to mind real quick, particularly with, you know, some of the things, you know, Jeopardy as the game show, <laughs> not to compare them, but in a certain way, things are, you're posing a statement as a question. You often say, well, you pose the question that you want a regulatory agency to agree with you, but that also means that it's our responsibilities as drug developers, again, to give them the information to be able to address that question appropriately. Mm-hmm. Again, if you haven't provided the data to say, here's why we came to this conclusion, they have little chance of being able to look at that question the same way that, that you posed it. You want them to agree. You want them to agree. You have to give them the information to be able to go through the same process of agreement and elimination of potential side questions to get to that same type of conclusion. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really interesting discussion. I think that the main takeaway for me is that it is really complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It is complicated, but it's all, it's like, you know, any process in the world. It's still, it's individual steps and small individual studies, individual questions that that make that bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably another place where I think there's for good or I don't mean for bad, but in some concern, there's no doubt it's been amazing how much light has been shown on the drug development process over the last year. It's it's been amazing to see you know sit down you know at night and listen to the national news and have clinical trials be the opening story <laughs> <laughs> on the national news. So it, it means a lot of people now have a higher awareness of it, and it's also a case. This is an opportunity for us in the drug development world, you know, whenever possible, you know, be it you know similar to this or whatever else we need to do to get a better understanding for people in general, what is the drug development process? Mm -hmm. It's complicated, it's complex, 
it unfortunately has its ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride some days, but we definitely all realize that it's important to all our lives, be they our health part of our life, our financial part of our lives, or just our, our general well-being. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. 